millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Friday Five, beaming to you from my South London wellbeing studios on this chilly end to a week that has seen many of the nation's children head back to school. At last, was I the only parent to breathe a subtle sigh of relief and give a cheery wave as my middle son headed back to sixth form? I suspect not. Closely followed next week by his younger brother and then older sister as she heads back to uni. Phew, that is an amazing thought, isn't it, really? After a six-month break, hmm, should we be so cheerful that our little ones are off? Yes, I think we should. Reasons to be cheerful. Anyway, as we head back into a slight sense of a bit more normality, back to school for some, back to work for many more, and yet we have the spectre of the so-called second wave hanging over our heads, and if not that then the greater likelihood of all the usual coughs, colds, flu bugs, etc. descending upon us as they routinely do at this time of year. So I was very interested to speak to Dr. Asim Malhotra, one of the leading lights of the medical world when it comes to lifestyle medicine and making dietary changes to both improve our immune system and strengthen our body's own reserves against the threat of covid and to pick his brains on all this right here as part of this Friday Five podcast. Now, Dr. Malhotra is an NHS-trained consultant cardiologist, and he's the visiting professor of evidence-based medicine at the Biana School of Medicine and Public Health in Brazil. He is a world-renowned expert in the prevention, diagnosis, and management of heart disease, and an honorary council member to the Metabolic Psychiatry Unit at Stanford University in California, as well as being a founding member of Action on Sugar, which is actually where I first came across him as the lead campaigner highlighting the harm caused by excess sugar consumption here in the UK, particularly its role in type 2 diabetes and obesity. Oh, welcome, Asim. You know, it's really hard for me to know where to start with you because there are just so many threads that I'd like to pick up with you while I've got you here, you know, from your earlier work, highlighting the dangers of excessive sugars in our diets, 
the Pyopi diet, championing, you know, high fat, low carb. Now, of course, the discussions on how we can improve our immunity to and hopefully recovery from COVID through dietary changes. I mean, not to mention statins and cholesterol. I mean, where should we start? <laughs> I think, um, Liz, I think the place to start really for people who obviously aren't aware of, of me and my work is just to um, you know, just who I am. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I'm a qualified doctor uh, since 2001. I've worked almost two decades uh, in the in the National Health Service. And for me, to, the starting point for me as an individual, what motivates me to become a campaigner and highlighting these various issues is really about the patient in front of me, the patient in the consultation room. You know, my uh, ethical, my duty, my responsibility is to my patient and to scientific integrity. But mm. the, what I've discovered in my journey over the years is that Unfortunately, the system is geared actually against doctors in, in many ways being able to exercise, um, you know, to, to basically manage patients in the best possible way because there are so many externalities and factors that influence people's health even before they get into the consultation room that are really just being driven by very powerful vested interests and in industries. And unfortunately, their profit and the way that they have marketed and, and become successful has had a very uh, sort of dramatic and um, dreadful side effect of, of contributing to misery and illness uh, to mm. millions of people around the globe. So really, and my job and my duty is really has become someone who's a public health advocate, but also someone who analyzes and looks at research to try and understand how can we improve the health of individual patients, but also what can we do on a, on a wider societal level so that yes. we get real, you know, uh, make real changes on the population so that everybody has an opportunity, um, you know, to have healthy and happy lives. I think we all probably, you know, if people are asked, Liz, you know, I think most of us would want that for everybody, really, for the community, you know, because helping of other course. people helps ourselves. Yeah. And I think COVID has, has certainly brought that out, hasn't it? That we're all interconnected. Oh, completely. And I'm going to come on to, to, to COVID and how we can help improve our immune systems through diet. And you've written so brilliantly on it with the 21-day immunity plan book, which has just come out. But if, if we could take a step back, fundamentally, I think I was stalking you, I think, on Twitter earlier this year, <laughs> because I, I started to look last year at the role of high-fat, low-carb diets and I tried various things. I put myself on keto and I, you know, tried various experiments and I, I found it highly successful to myself. And then I started to look at other academic researchers and doctors. And of course, your name came up as, as one of them. So as a cardiologist, an NHS trained consultant cardiologist, you have really gone against the grain here because you have long said, listen, guys, it's not fat that we need to be concerned about when it comes to heart disease, it's sugar. So what led you to that conclusion? It's a great question, Liz, actually. To be honest, um, for me personally, I can uh, sum up a lot of the problems we have in modern healthcare, both in terms of uh, the types of food we're eating, but also in terms of the you know mass prescription uh, of medications, uh, which for many, if not arguably most people, is, is completely unnecessary. Uh, and that comes down to, you know, something that I, you know, investigated myself uh, and, and something that got a lot of publicity in 2013. So I was, I wrote a, an article for the, the British Medical Journal, the BMJ, and that was on the, and it was called Saturated Fat is Not the Major Issue. 
And that was on the background of about, you know, two or three years of, of really intensive research looking at uh, whether, um, you know, this focus for many decades, as you know, Liz, this fear of saturated fat and, and certain yes. foods that are high in saturated fat, whether it's red meat or dairy, et cetera, um, you know, was a primary or an important driving factor behind the development of heart disease. And what I discovered was that it, you know, the, the, the links were very weak at best and, 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 and uh, you know, and probably uh, non-existent it, for, for most people. There wasn't really a link. Yet a whole, you know, industry had developed around this fear of cholesterol, which is sort of supposedly linked to increasing, you know, saturated fat in the diet. And um, whether it's a food industry, you know, who marketed low-fat foods and, of course, then yes. sugar industry took advantage of that. Or whether it's the whole cholesterol lowering industry, which you know has resulted in an estimated you know one you know billion people around the world being prescribed statin drugs. So I wrote this article, which was really just eight hundred words, but I actually wanted to sort of bring the pieces of the jigsaw all together. And and what I did is I highlighted that the low fat movement had not only failed in terms of the dietary advice by focusing on you know saturated fat and, and lowering cholesterol, which hasn't shown any evidence of any benefit but actually had made the situation worse because we'd increase our consumption of, of carbohydrates, specifically the simple carbohydrates or refined carbohydrates, the far carbohydrates are like fiber, and, and of course, sugar going along with that. And at the same time, we've over-medicated millions of people on statin drugs, which side effects are much more prevalent than was originally in the published literature. And I put it all together and also said, actually, the major issue is, is um, you know, the, the, something called the metabolic syndrome, which we'll talk about briefly mm. um, a bit later. But, but really saying, actually, this is the, you know, we should focus on sugar. And, you know, when it comes to carbohydrates, in fact, as you say correctly, Liz, you know, low carbohydrate diets seem to be uh, very effective uh, and preferable for many patients in managing and, and potentially reversing in many cases uh, or sending their type 2 diabetes into remission. So I put all of that together in one article, and that was then press released by the BMJ and became an international story. I mean, it was front page of three British newspapers. I think, you know, the novelty, I suppose, for the press was you've got a card. By the way, I was still a junior doctor at this point. I was a cardiologist right. specialist registrar. I wasn't even a consultant, but you yeah. know, it was, um, you know, that they, they, they like, they jumped on the fact that a cardiologist is saying that we shouldn't fear fat and cholesterol or saturated fat, you know, and I think the times did a front page, their headline was something like butter is back or something like that. And, mm. um, and that's how things started. The ball started rolling for me, but I think, you know, moving forward, I think one of the challenges and what's happened since then, two things, you know, the, the sciences have obviously has evolved and in fact has reinforced many, if not most of the things I wrote in that original article. But also, I've also become more familiar with all the powerful vested interests that have then tried to, you know, fight back against that message, whether it was a sugar industry or whether it was yes. the, the drug industry. So that's really kind of sums up in a very, um, you know, um, as concise as I can make it, in, you know, in a yes. short conversation, uh, <laughs> much of what I have been advocating for and pushing. Uh, and it all roots in this fear of cholesterol. Yeah, well, and, and you have made some powerful enemies there. I mean, you, you've taken on two of the biggest industries if you like and you've got the pharmaceutical industry and you've got the processed food industry you know with huge stakes so for you to come out as a reputable cardiologist and say don't fear fat you know what we've been told is wrong the literature is wrong the science is wrong the interpretation of it is wrong and I think you know why I empathize with with what you're doing is I've seen a very similar battle in terms of you know, battling for estrogen, for example, and the misinterpreted trials and data that was all there that have become 
steeped in what, what we think is is reality, and it just isn't. And can we just take a step back and can you explain a little bit about cholesterol and why we have cholesterol, just fundamentally what it does? And and people say, oh, I, I need to lower my cholesterol. Do we need to lower it? What's what's so good or bad about cholesterol? Yes, Liz. So just before I answer that, you're absolutely right. I think for people listening to try and get an overview, because I think once people get to the roots of the the problem, with mm. the way that, you know, healthcare is being managed and, and people's illnesses, you know, the battle that we are fighting you know, is really one of truth versus money. That's, <laughs> That's a tough once one. People, <laughs> once, once, once people understand that to start with, yeah. everything else then starts to make sense. Truth um, versus to really money. Try and wow. under, to try and understand where we are at the moment. And, and then once you get that, then you know what, you know, we can all work together to try and change the system so that, Actually, you know, truth and transparency and independence of information wins out over these vested interests. So I think we start from that perspective. I think the other thing um, I would say, uh, Liz, yeah, so let's talk about cholesterol. So cholesterol is one of the most vital molecules in the body. So let's start by understanding that without it, we would die because it has many functions. It's responsible for, you know, um, uh, as a precursor to hormones in the body, it's responsible for maintaining the integrity of cell membranes. Um, and there are different components of cholesterol that have been associated with heart disease. But also, interestingly, it is also has an important role in the immune system as well, which I'll, I'll come mm. on to in a second. The heart disease, when people think about cholesterol, they think about high cholesterol, they think it's a, a risk factor for heart disease. Um, but it's a bit more complicated than that. So there are different particles within the cholesterol profile, if you like. Um, and the two ones, I think, well, the, the, the three that we should really focus on and talk a little bit about is one LDL, low density lipoprotein cholesterol, which is, has got the uh, reputation, um, probably incorrectly, in fact, I would say incorrectly, of being so-called bad cholesterol. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you've got HDL, which is the so-called good cholesterol, which is thought to basically take away you know, um, the, the deposition of, uh, you know, transport basically cholesterol from the bloodstream and stop it depositing in the arteries, the so-called LDL, back into the liver and it kind of then, you know, gets, gets out of your body or whatever. Um, and then you've got triglycerides, which is, a, you know, a blood fat, another blood fat. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, what, the link between cholesterol and heart disease is actually related to, if one wants to calculate one's risk of having a heart attack, what doctors do is something called the there's a, a calculator online. It's free. People can look it up called the Q risk as a, you know, Q for queen, Q risk calculator. And within mm -hmm. that, what's interesting is that they don't use total cholesterol alone. They use what we call the total cholesterol to HDL ratio. Now, why that's important, Liz, is that if someone is told that they've got a very high cholesterol, let's say, you know, the current limits suggest it should be, you know, less than five, which isn't accurate. That's another completely another rabbit hole we don't need to go down. But, oh, dear. <laughs> um, but, but the bottom line is basically that the, there's been too much influence by cholesterol-lowering drug industry to change the threshold for what con constitutes high cholesterol. But let's just say for an individual, they're told that they've got high cholesterol, and let's say it comes back as total cholesterol of seven. And their mm -hmm. HDL, the so-called good cholesterol, is two. Now, what we need to look at is the ratio, and seven divided by two is three and a half. Now, someone with a ratio of three and a half has a lower risk, just based upon their cholesterol profile, of having a heart attack than someone whose total cholesterol, say, is four, 
and might be given the illusion of protection, and their HDL is one. So four divided right. by one is four, right? So that is higher. So what we need to look at is the ratio. Now, when you look at things like saturated fat and all that sort of stuff, interestingly, although saturated fat can increase your total cholesterol by raising your LDL, so-called bad cholesterol, slightly, it also has a significant impact on HDL. And for individuals, actually, ultimately, it doesn't make much difference to their overall cholesterol ratio. So there's all right. sorts of problems and really bad yes. science have driven this fear. Um, and then to add on top of that, um, Liz, something I did, um, you know, research that I published with 15 international scientists a few years ago, is that we looked at, um, does, is there any correlation between uh, high LDL cholesterol, so-called bad cholesterol on its own, and heart disease in people over 60? And, that's, and the reason we did that is that traditional data going back decades suggested that once you hit over 60, that it was interesting that as your cholesterol dropped, your risk of heart attack and death increased. So it was like, what's going on here? And mm -hmm. we thought, okay, let's just do a, a review of the evidence to see, is there any relationship? Now, the first thing is there was no relationship between having a high so-called bad LDL cholesterol uh, and heart disease. This is for most of the population. No and relationship. No relationship at all. And not only there was a no relationship between heart disease, there was an inverse relationship statistically with death. In other words, statistically, the higher LDL, if you're over 60, the less likely you are to die. And the reason for that is LDL has a, a role in the immune system and older people are more vulnerable to dying from infections, specifically um, pneumonias, chest infections or, or stomach infections. So the likely mechanism is that there was some protection from LDL in the older people. But the good news is there was no association with heart disease. Now, this sort of stuff isn't widely publicized because, as you've said already, there are all these powerful vested interests that make money out of a message which is misleading um, yes. you know, people, interfering these things. And then you then add on top of it, well, actually, does lowering LDL have any benefit anyway in terms of heart disease and, and all that kind of stuff? And there was research I published with two other scientists in BMJ Evidence Medicine uh, Journal um, only last month, which was peer-reviewed. And we tried to you know, look at all of the data to see, is there any relationship between degree of lowering LDL and preventing heart attack, stroke, and death? And there was none at all. So you know, there's a lot of misinformation there that we have to really sort of counter. And of course, there will be scientific debates going on, and nothing is absolute truth when it comes to science. The science evolves and changes. But at the very least, our current approach, we can see intuitively, Liz, we look around us, it's failed. You know, there's been yes. no demonstrable reduction in heart attacks in, you know, in terms of the population and of death no. rates from heart disease from statin drugs. Yet we've got at least five to eight million people in this country taking statins. You know, so the question is what for, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get asked this question a lot. And I think, um, you know, moving on from fat not being necessarily the the bad guy and being the thing that we need and certainly for me as somebody who writes about hormones it's very interesting to make that point that you did very early on that cholesterol is like the mothership of our hormones so we need it to make our hormones so i think that that's a really fundamental particularly for midlife women who is the majority of my audience listening so going on from then the the fat side i get asked this question all the time should i be taking statins you know, my, my father's on statins and I I did my research and I looked at how it taking statins reduces our level of coenzyme Q10, which I need for energy, which possibly explains why he's so incredibly tired all the time. And I've, I've tried to suggest that he does his own research. But, you know, what is your advice as a cardiologist? Where do you stand on statins? So I think the, the key thing here, Liz, is about the um, it's about informed 
decision making. It's about having conversations with patients where you present to them without any bias in terms of using drug industry marketing language, for example, um, mm-hmm. to, for that individual to explain to them, this is a potential benefit. These are the potential harms. And let's make a decision together about whether it's going to benefit you or it's something that you want. Now, in very simple terms, and this isn't, you know, this is um, not refuted because I've published uh, in medical journals on this uh, and Mm -hmm. no one has challenged this, is if you look at statins, for example, most of these clinical trials known as randomized control trials, which are what we call the gold standard to show that something has a a potential benefit, um, you know, over that five-year period, if you haven't got heart disease or you're not what we call very high risk of a heart attack, then there is no benefit. First and foremost, people need to be told this isn't going to prolong your life by one day. Okay, that's the first thing to say. Mm. The next thing is, well, what is the benefit for preventing other things that aren't going to prolong my life? But, you know, so it may not prolong my life, but are there any other things that it it might help prevent that, you know, would interfere with the quality of my life? And yes, the, the benefits from clinical trials, although, of course, we have to accept the caveat that these are almost all sponsored by the pharmaceutical industry, and the, the original data has never been independently scrutinized. So I would say this is probably the best case scenario, if this is absolutely true, that if, sure. you have, if you're low risk, if you're not someone who's had a heart attack, essentially, already, then the benefit is probably a, something around one in 140 of it preventing a non-fatal heart attack or stroke. Um, and uh, again, without prolonging your life. If you've had a heart attack, now there is, you know, from the data we have, there it does seem to be some benefit there in people, obviously, who take it for, you know, religiously and don't get side effects, because that's what comes out in a second. Um, mm. That benefit is one in 83 for an individual for death, you know, for saving their life, if you mm. like. That, that still means 82 out of 83 prescribers who aren't going to benefit. We just don't know which one. Yes. And about one yes. in 39 to prevent an- another heart attack. So for me, this is about, you know, this is the more ethical, honest way of having conversations with patients who then then make an informed decision. And I get various patients wanting, you know, different bits of information or yes. have got different backgrounds and different preferences. And they will, some of them will take it and many of them will choose not to. Even people who have had heart attacks, they're like, I don't really like those odds. And of course, I know, I, you know, I advise, is there anything else I can do, Doc? Well, actually you can. You know, these are the lifestyle changes I would recommend certainly um, that are going to, you know, help you moving forward in terms of your quality of life and likely certainly improve your longevity and reduce the risk of heart attack mm. as well. And what about um, so the that, side is, effects of statins then? Yeah, so the side effects, there's a lot of varying reports, Liz. So I think the first thing is it depends who you are and what your background is. So if you're older, for example, if you're over 60 or even, you know, going older, you're more likely to get side effects. If you're young and fit and don't have any other symptoms, you're less likely to get side effects. But of course, you know, the, the, the challenge there is the younger, fitter person is less likely to get benefit and the older person who might get extra benefit is more likely to get side effects. But in general, the side effects vary. Um, And up to, I would say, my clinical experience and looking at the data um, in the real world, probably up to about 40% of people at some point will experience a quality of life limiting side effects from statin. So nothing that for the overwhelming majority of people is going to be life threatening, but something that will make them not feel very good. And 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 when you when I ask patients about and the most common one is you've already alluded to it a little bit about energy levels, the most common one is fatigue. So one mm-hmm. of the you know and the way to know this uh, is whether the statin's causing it or it's not something else. One of the simple things that I often do is say let's just try stopping the statin for a couple of weeks and see if you mm-hmm. feel better because usually these side effects get better very quickly. So fatigue is one of them, but it can cause other things like stomach upset, memory disturbance. 
um, you know, the, you know, erectile dysfunction for men, um, you know, Gosh. these are the most common muscle aches, but there's quite a wide variety of them. And it does seem to affect up to 40%, um, you know, especially if you're older and you've got other conditions and all that kind of stuff of people taking statins. So I think we have to be aware of that. Um, and of course, older people, again, you know, the, unless you've had a heart attack, there doesn't really seem to be any strong benefit in terms of taking statins, certainly for lifespan. Right. Um, and if you haven't had a heart attack, I think, I think the benefit is something like one in 400 and something. Uh, you know, and, and, <laughs> and the problem is, Liz, people are not told this. It's very black and white. No. You know, take this pill, it will save your life. Well, actually, the likelihood is not going to do anything to save your life. It's a very small possibility. But, you know, let's yes. have a risk benefit discussion. And some of these patients that will be empowered enough to say, actually, I don't fancy those odds. No, thank you, doctor. Um, yes. Some of them say, yeah, fine, I'll take it. Others will say, I'm not sure, mm. doctor. You tell me. And of course, then it's up to the individual doctor to give their personal opinion. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. But that's how it works. It's not... Well, yeah. okay. So, so what, what, what I want to pick up on in there, I've heard, and tell me whether this is true or not, that GPs are actually receive a financial incentive if their patient is prescribed statins. Is, is that the case? Yeah. So in a way, it, it's being phased out now, Liz, but something called the Quality Outcome Framework, or QOF, which applies to many different uh, markers of health that the GPs are you know, supposed to adhere to uh, that then get some sort of, you know, re remunerated. Um, and I don't think it's a sort of malicious, deliberate, you know, financial, it, it is it indirectly it is financial incentive, but it's done with the initial view that the information that the GPs are using to make clinical decisions is unbiased. And it's not often this stuff is 
you know, it's it's biased um, information, you know, influenced by the drug industry who have an influence even on the guideline boards like National Institute of Health and Care Excellence, for example. So then mm. you've got this biased information being brought into the equation that then takes out the shared decision making as well. Because if a GP, you're right, if a GP's you know, told that you've got to get 90% of your patients who have, say, for example, this risk, uh, you know, of heart disease and, and having heart attack and stroke over the next, you know, five to or next 10 years on statins, then what happens is that it introduces a, um, a huge bias uh, and, and it becomes ethically dubious because it then detracts from that doctor having a conversation yes. with a patient, say, by the way, actually, the chances of you benefiting are, are very small. But that doesn't come out in the conversation. And what they do is they say, oh, you, no. you, you know, you, my computer's telling me that you're, uh, you're at this risk yes. of having a heart attack stroke. You need to be on a statin. End of discussion. Yeah. And, and there that has actually a, been a financial incentive for the, for the doctor to say that. Absolutely. In the background, yes. But, you know, I think yeah. the doctor individually, I do think most doctors want to do the right thing. And it's a much, much, sure. much worse situation in America. But I think, right. yes, absolutely. Ultimately, the root of a lot of the clinical decision making in medicine, in the NHS, is, is financially driven. And that is obviously Whoa. a huge problem. <laughs> We're going to have to have many, many more podcasts on this, I can see, because this uh, was supposed to be sort of a, a quick chat about boosting your immunity to help protect against COVID. And obviously, there are many, many really serious and, and significant points of conversation here. I mentioned very briefly coenzyme Q10. This is something that's come up in conversation with some of my listeners before. If you are on statins, it, will that remove or reduce your coenzyme Q10 levels? And should people be supplementing with it? Yeah, it can, it can do just because of the way statins work in the liver. Um, and this is an enzyme that's involved, obviously, in people feeling normal energy. Now, some people will have reductions in Q10 and not feel any, anything physically going on. So I think with all of these sorts of things, whether there's a marker in the blood being affected, I think you have to think about mm. how does that translate into actually physically affecting the person. And of course, every yeah. drug, Liz, as you know, will have some side effects. Um, but yeah. it's about whether the, the benefits outweigh the harms. So absolutely, absolutely right. That is... That, that is a mechanism. You're absolutely right. And probably why a lot of people get this fatigue issue from statins. Mm. So if people are going to reject statins, they're going to look at the evidence, they're going to have a look around at cholesterol. And what's your advice in terms of lifestyle? You mentioned making lifestyle changes instead of resorting to medication. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, just, um, uh, I think people would probably get a good insight from um, initially, Liz, I would say, you know, in the book, The 21-Day Immunity Plan, which has just come out, I do mm. give it a little bit of a summary at the beginning, which I think people find interesting about the limitations of modern medicine. So I start from that just to, to, to be able to get a broad understanding about why, you know, how we got to the place we're at, at the moment, how much has medicine contributed to that? And in fact, people will probably be quite surprised when they look at when they realize that of the hundred, you know, over the last 150 years, our life expectancy on average in the Western world Liz, has increased by about 40 years. But of those 40 years, when you ask people in service, even you know, student, public health students or you know, um, uh, you know, students uh, or, or general public who are relatively well-educated, well um, you know, one study which I talk about in the book, um, 30, 30 people, 80 percent of people, most people attributed that you know, um, 32 of those 40 years was attributed to modern medicine, that, that, that modern medicine was was had the biggest impact by far in increasing our life expectancy when the reality is it's only about three three to five years maximum of those 40 really most of it has happened from public health interventions absolutely which is stuff that goes on before you get into the 
into the hospital and you know in, within the hospital walls so these are things like you know uh, better sanitation better housing safe drinking water seatbelts in cars you know reducing right. uh, massive reduction in smoking public smoking bans all that kind of stuff so it's environmental is actually the biggest and, and all of that obviously a lot of that links to lifestyle and the way we live um, and and what I would suggest, and as I do in the book, I think one of the first things people probably find quite shocking when I when I talk to my patients is that the biggest issue, having looked at the evidence, I think in terms of what's driving obesity and type two diabetes and many of these conditions, is our consumption overconsumption of ultra processed food, which is more than half of the calorie consumption now in the average British diet. And wow. what your listeners, I think, would would you know, if there's one thing, there's only one thing they take away from this conversation we've had you know, is what is the definition of ultra-processed food? How do you avoid it? What you should, we should be looking out for? If it comes out of a packet and has five or more ingredients, usually with additives or preservatives, it's ultra-processed, don't eat it, right? And this right. applies to loads, okay. so much food in the supermarket, <laughs> packet breads, brown yes. breads, you name it, right? Look at the ingredient list. Uh, if you can count five or more, don't eat it. Five or more, put it down. But suppose you've got something like a, a healthy granola with lots of healthy good stuff in there, you know, seeds yeah, and oats I mean the, and things. I mean, the thing is, the question is, what is healthy good stuff and what else is in there? So I think the way these yes. foods are designed, Liz, is it's not just about the ingredients, it's about the combination of ingredients and how that affects our appetite and our hormones, you know, that control appetite. Mm. And that's where mm -hmm. the evidence is emerging that it also, you know, so yes, I think in theory, of course, you can have probably, I'm sure there are some healthy stuff out there that is more than five ingredients. I think usually yeah. additives and preservatives as well. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, uh, and those additives and preservatives that the, the evidence is emerging that it has an adverse effect on, for example, on our, on the gut microbiome, on the bacteria in our, I have in read our, that. In our stomachs yep. and also raises some evidence showing it raises baseline insulin and the hormone that's responsible, if you like, that we are increasing in too much amounts in our bodies that is a driving force behind many chronic diseases, you know, heart disease, blood pressure, type two diabetes, even cancer and dementia is excessive insulin. And yes. basically, you need to think about the foods you're putting in your mouth, how are they affecting insulin and glucose, which is usually a lot of low quality carbohydrates, like too much bread, pasta, rice, sugar, all that kind of stuff, and the ultra processed foods. And of course, other things which I talk about in the book, which is about moderate activity levels, not being sedentary. It doesn't, you don't have to be running ultra marathons, but just doing a 30, 30 minute brisk walk every day has, you know, is probably the best thing you can do in terms of your longevity. Um, mm. But it's about things like, you know, not being sedentary and it's about our stress and our sleep as well. All of these right. things have adverse effect biologically on both insulin and what we call chronic inflammation in the body, which is, you know, these external stresses, your body's immune system kind of responds to them. But if it's, it's baseline, you know, if this is a chronic issue that you've got over time, you know, in relation to the food you're eating or the stress you're suffering, it's going to have, it's going to damage your body. Uh, so mm. it's about, and this is all explained in the book, but interestingly with yeah. COVID, Liz, it's exactly the same thing. There's a clear correlation with conditions related to excess body fat and chronic inflammation that make our immune system dysregulated so that when we improve these markers in our health, um, you know, linked to all these conditions, which can happen very quickly within a few weeks, then the likelihood is that our immune resilience will also improve significantly. I read in your book that viruses and bacteria thrive off high blood sugar. Yes, I mean, that, that's, that's quite worrying, isn't it? Well, you know, I mean, yes. when you think about all, all those people who are delivering trays of 
Krispy Kreme donuts to NHS workers and people who are sick. And it, it, it's kind of like, why are you doing this? You know, we already know that they're at risk of viral overload from all the contact yeah. that they're having on, uh, on the front line of health. Absolutely. I mean, two things there quickly. One is Krispy Kreme. I think, you know, they're, uh, they use it as a branding opportunity to associate with the NHS because they have all the attention from oh. the NHS. So that's yeah. one thing. And this is, you know, Big Tobacco did the same thing, by the way, you know, in the 50s and 60s, when there was initial scares about smoking and lung cancer with evidence, they then got doctors, wait for it, to run adverts <laughs> of, of smoking specific cigarettes in the consultation room. Uh, so this is how crazy it is. So same thing happening over yeah. again. And then why the medical yeah. profession is accepting it, to be honest, Liz, it's, it's not deliberate or malicious. It's just a lack of knowledge. You know, it may sound right. common sense to us, but for many people yeah. in healthcare, they don't have even the very basic knowledge in, in, in nutrition and health. So yes. that also needs to change. So that's the, the, the re- real reasons behind it. Um, so and, is, uh, is and, the bottom and, line that, that, that we need to regulate our insulin? We just need to avoid those spikes in insulin by staying relatively low carb, avoiding ultra processed foods and keeping our sugar levels low. Yeah, and I would say low carb, just to have that caveat, Liz, it's a bit, really the low quality carbohydrates. So very simply, it's okay. carbohydrates that lack fiber. Um, and there's a nice rule of thumb generally in terms of that is that if your total carbohydrate content ratio is uh, greater than 10 to 1 in terms of fiber. So let's say something, you know, you look at a packet and it says it's got 20 grams of carbs. Um, you want the fiber content to be greater than 2. 20 divided by 2 is 10. So you want that ratio to be less than 10. That makes sense. Mm, so that's a nice simple mm-hmm. rule of thumb. But basically, it means your, your white breads, your pastas, your white rice, you know, the sugary stuff. Now, I would say, you know, there are people out there saying, hold on a minute, I'm having all that stuff and I'm slim and healthy. And it may be that, you know, you're in a particular group at the moment where you've got very good metabolism. You can metabolize these, these sorts of, you know, these glucose, yes. these, these foods that converts glucose very quickly. But actually, over a long period of time, it may well damage your health. So just be a bit mindful of it. But for most mm-hmm. people in this country now, Liz, who are overweight or obese or have got, you know, even normal BMI, excess body fat in their belly, for example, mm-hmm. those people need to significantly minimize, one, the ultra-processed food, which obviously includes sugar as well, and, and, sorry, and low-quality carbs, which includes sugar and all these sorts of foods, to make mm-hmm. it, you know, at least less than 20% of what you're consuming and when it comes to low-quality carbohydrates. In the book, I start by telling people that the first thing you can do is go cold turkey on these foods first for a month just to see how you feel because you're breaking the so-called addiction (laughs) if you like to sugar and carbohydrates and most of my patients who do this Liz I practice this regularly with my patients the results are remarkable and they are quite shocked by because I say to them they think oh my god this is a big this sounds like a big deal I said well just do it for a month come back to me Mm -hmm. then see how you feel let's measure your markers again whatever and two things happen one their blood markers improve or all these adverse markers of health linked to heart disease etc but the other thing is they come back and say, God, doc, I can't believe it. I just feel better. I'm just feeling more alert. Yes. I'm sleeping better. I'm not craving sugar anymore. You know? No. It's a, so no. This, is, this is part of that messaging. It is. And talking about metabolic health. Oh, <laughs> that's not an ambulance. <laughs> uh, metabolic health. That's something that we are hearing about now in relation to COVID. Can you just very briefly explain what that is? Because I think that's yeah. something that we're going to be hearing more of, isn't it? Absolutely. So in very simple terms, metabolic health is the um, point at which your body, body's excess body fat becomes essentially a risk, you know, poses a, a, an increased risk of you developing all these various conditions related to, you know, whether it's heart disease or high blood pressure or type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer, all that kind of thing. So that's what it is. 
Um, there's a very, uh, uh, you know, um, there are five markers that people should be aware of themselves. Everyone should know to start with. It's not mm-hmm. something that's um, routinely discussed, but they're very simple. They're not expensive. So they are related to your average blood glucose levels, something called, we call HbA1c, which you can get from blood test. Um, your triglycerides, which we talked about in the blood, the blood fat. The HDL, good cholesterol. Um, waist circumference and blood pressure. And right. just to put it in context, so optimal metabolic health is having all of those five markers in the normal range. Um, but Liz, latest data from the United States, we haven't got specific data here, but it's probably, it's probably quite similar, reveals that you know, uh, only one in eight people, adults in the United States, have optimal metabolic health. Wow. Is that why, why the rates of deaths from COVID in America are yeah, so much higher than yeah. elsewhere? Yeah, so, so the worst manifestation of meta- poor metabolic health is having three of those abnormal. We call that metabolic syndrome. So that can be a combination right. of, say, for example, pre-diabetes with raised blood pressure with increased waist circumference. Let's just take those three, for example, right? So if you've got those three, abnormal, your metabolic syndrome, then that is now being shown to be associated with the highest risk of death from COVID. So re- data mm. only published last week shows that if you're comparing people with metabolic syndrome versus not completely metabolically healthy, but not having metabolic syndrome, there was a three and a half times increased likelihood of having, you know, uh, dying from COVID-19. And you're five times more likely to go into intensive care, for example, or be hospitalized. The good news is, from clinical studies, is that up to 50% of people can reverse, come out of metabolic syndrome within 21 to 28 days of changing lifestyle. Wow. And that's that is a prescribe- three weeks. <laughs> Yes, and that's what I prescribe in the book. So that's why it's called the 21. That's one of the reasons it's called the 21-day immunity plan. That is really quite astonishing. And I think as we come into the winter season, more flu bugs around generally, not just COVID, and obviously easing of lockdown restrictions, this is never more important, is it? Absolutely, Liz. I think people need to realize. So I think we think, let's get everyone trying to understand what is metabolic Mm. health, no, it's linked to immune health. So poor metabolic health means poor immune health, but lifestyle changes are going to help you and make you more resilient. Um, and, and certainly to, you know, it doesn't mean you're not going to be able to, you're not going to catch, you know, and this isn't just about COVID-19. This is about all infections, about flu, it's about pneumonias, all that kind of stuff, other infections. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. you're not necessarily going to catch it, but it, what it means is your body is much more likely to be able to deal with it so you don't get very ill. And that's what mm-hmm. it's about, really. So I think that, we all potentially can do this, um, but it needs to get out to the population. This is why I have a you know public health advocacy role. I'm not here just to get a books. You know, uh, you know, book is mm. obviously one tool to get information out there. I'd also written it to influence policymakers in the final chapter. I, I, I talk about what we can all call for to change policy so yes. everyone gets helped. But I've also been in direct, um, you know, communication with the Secretary for Health and Social Care, Matt Hancock who asked me to advise him on the links between COVID-19 and obesity after, you know, I highlighted that the likelihood, the reason why our Prime Minister Boris Johnson got particularly unwell from COVID was because of his weight. So I've written this just to, to change policy as well, so that people who've never heard of me or even heard of the book ultimately will be helped when we get this across mm. the board, really. Well, this is brilliant. I'd love for you to come back and chat some more on it because I just think we've just lifted the lid for a lot of people on hearing some really, really interesting things. And I love the way that it pulls so many strands of our healthcare and our lifestyles together 
um, built on, as I said, your original work looking at the issues with sugar, the misinformation about fat, and now, of course, linking that into increased immunity and the role within COVID, which is putting it perhaps more front of mind for a lot of people. So a huge thank you for your time today. It's been lovely to chat. Likewise, Liz. Thank you so much. Well, wasn't that all so interesting? Now, Dr. Asim's book, The 21-Day Immunity Plan, is out this week, and I do look forward to chatting with him again on more of the topics we just seem to have touched the surface of today. So much more I'd like to chat about. I could happily spend an hour, at least more, talking about the misinformation on saturated animal fats just for starters. Well, hopefully he'll be back on the pod again soon. Meantime, Just as we were saying our goodbyes after his recording, he mentioned to me an interesting sounded documentary on Netflix called Saving Capitalism. Apparently it's all about the lobbyists and who controls political power when it comes to major issues in society relating to food and medicine. Sounds interesting and I might just take a look at that this weekend and review it perhaps here next week on the pod. Now, this week saw the launch of the brand new ta-da, edition of the Lizelle Wellbeing magazine, the September-October issue to be precise, not available in any store for the first time, well, pretty much since our beginning, which truth be told, does feel a bit weird to have voluntarily given up our hard-won shelf space. But my team and I are very much hoping to make a success of being a subscription-only magazine. And it's been great this week to welcome so many new subscribers. And if that's you, thank you. Thank you very much for your support and your confidence. We have actually nearly sold out of our September-October subscriber copies. So if you would like one, please don't hang about because once they are gone... They truly are gone. And we do have a brilliant new subscriber offer that launches today. In fact, if you're listening on Friday in real time, it is a wonderful rejuvenating eye oil from the British skincare brand, Angela Langford. That is worth £19 alone. Plus, you get a free magazine issue and free UK PMP. So it's well worth grabbing. Even if you are an existing subscriber, you can still take advantage of this. You could give a gift subscription for a friend starting with the Christmas edition. Why not, if you're thinking of getting ahead with a bit of gift giving? And then you can always keep the eye oil treat for yourself, maybe. Shh, a little bit of a me treat. Just a thought, anyhow. Don't delay if you would like this, though, because once they are gone, they really are gone. Well, just time to say thank you for all your kind five-star ratings on iTunes. This really genuinely does help the team and me. So big hearts to all of you who have bothered to do that. It's much appreciated, as are, of course, all your wonderful reviews. And I do read every single one. So a sincere thank you. I shall be back with you next week on Monday, Wednesday and Friday with my Instagram TV, IGTV, and my Facebook Lives. That is at around 12.30 UK time, lunchtime. And you will find me at Me on Instagram and also on Facebook on the Lizelle Wellbeing magazine page. And then later, these broadcasts do get uploaded to the Lizelle Wellbeing YouTube channel. Well worth subscribing to that if you don't already. Do take a look because that is the place where you will find all my other films and video clips. Well, that is it from me for now. I look forward to chatting again soon. Have a great week. Until next time, go well. Bye-bye. 
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Kristen. And this is Jen from My Mom So Hard. And we're here to talk about By Heart. Do you remember when you were nursing and you were like, I want to give the best thing I can to my baby? Well, we've got that for you. It's called By Heart. And it is a infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code MOMS20 for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Tell them my mom so hard sent you.